welcome to this, your June episode of The Smug Buds. It's me, your host, Elizabeth Deanna Morrislakes, and my beloved, handsome co-host, Will. Hi, Will. How are you? I'm good. I'm better now, Liz. I'm, I'm, <laughs> flattery will get you everywhere. Uh, I'm, I'm good. Uh, how are you? Pointless of me to ask. I know you're not doing too well, but how are you anyway? Yeah. I'm I'm actually I mean like I'm fine at least I'm fine emotionally. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not depressed or anything. That's a good place to be. But yeah, it's, I I was t- I'll tell our listeners this and also I'll have a record of it for myself historically. There you go. Um that the day we recorded our last podcast episode, I felt fine and then I got off and that evening I was like, oh, I feel a little bit weird and I have not gotten better. <laughs> It's the curse of the Bandersnatch. <laughs> oh shit. It's he upon got you. Me. He fucking got me. It's just like a low level. My bo- it just feels like my body's feeling fe- 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 fighting like a low level infection constantly. Uh-huh. Um, so I'm just like fatigued or whatever. So I mean, some yeah. days it's been worse. I was I went on my writing retreat with Aram mm-hmm. and uh, a friend of the pod, and uh, did spend that Saturday night throwing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I went to bed, and then at midnight I was like, maybe I can just go to sleep and I won't have to throw up. And then I, instead I threw up for like probably three hours and aram at one point came into the bathroom and she was just like gently touching my hair and she was like um is there anything that makes you feel better when you're sick and i was like i mean i guess like lying on the floor like i am very much a if i feel blake and i are the same way we're like if we feel sick we want to lie on the bathroom floor it is cool it mm-hmm. is hard sure it is like not so puffy it's not like we don't want something cushy yeah and um then she was like, mint always makes me feel better. And I was like, yeah, I guess mint makes me feel better too. And then we both looked at each other and we were like, we don't have anything that's mint mm. at this fucking schoolhouse we're staying at. Yeah. You've got to travel with some peppermint oil. Yeah. And then the next day she was like, I was like, thank you for taking care of me. She was like, I just kind of sat with you and listened to you. And mm-hmm. I was like, nobody, why does nobody understand that it's taking care of me? Mm-hmm. I'm so easy. Mm. But yeah, how are you doing, Will? How's the... Uh... No, but first, I just want to say, so you haven't... I, I, even before we started recording and you were describing this, I haven't heard you say the word COVID once. Oh, you, yes. You, you haven't had I've, COVID. No, you, I've taken so many COVID tests. So yeah. I did stop after like a week and a half. Right. But for the first week and a half, I think I took 12 COVID tests, mm-hmm. including a PCR. Yeah. So you've had, you've been having long COVID, but without the COVID. You've, exactly. You've just had long for the past <laughs> several weeks. I, I Thank you for this diagnosis. I'll make sure to tell my doctor. You're welcome. That's exactly what's been happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And actually part of the pr- fucking problem has been that like, because I had symptoms that just were like sort of in my head, mm-hmm. like in my ear canals, like feeling swollen. Sorry, it is so windy that it constantly looks like the tree is going to hit me in the face, despite the fact that there is a window between us. Sure. Um, I They wouldn't see me at the doctor's office. Mm-hmm. They made me do telehealth appointments. And I kept being like, I don't have COVID. I, ha- I took a PCR. I took multiple rapid tests. Yeah. It's not COVID. And they wouldn't see me. Be- and so I had to like, I didn't have to lie. But if I had had a fever again, I was just going to lie about it. Mm-hmm. And be like, you have to see me. You have to take my blood. Yeah. You have to assess me. Assess me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I managed to go to a wedding in Scottsdale, Arizona, 
and mm-hmm. so far haven't had COVID, haven't tested positive for COVID, haven't had any symptoms. And um, it's been a week or two uh, since then. So, so far, so good. Congratulations. Thank I you. also did go to the Phoebe Bridgers concert, which I ended up leaving after six songs because I'm old and weak and I do feel bad about it. I know I made the right decision. Like, I know that I would have fucked myself up if I had stayed, but mm-hmm. that doesn't mean I don't feel f- defeated. <laughs> but I wore an N95 the whole time. Yeah. And um, I don't think that that helped me mm-hmm. stay, like, le- not leave. Yeah. <laughs> um, but Phoebe Bridgers had a recorded, um, like, voice memo that came on, like a recorded announcement. Yeah. That was like, hey, guys, uh, it's Phoebe. I just want to say that if you're wearing a mask... I think that's really hot. I think it's really hot that you're wearing a mask. And uh, it really helps me and it helps us stay on tour. And like they played this message three times before she went on. That's funny. Uh, it was not convincing to the 2,000 people at the Anthem in D.C. Uh, when when you first heard it, was there a uh, light thunder of, of muffled woos from areas of the crowd? <laughs> yeah, well, I was one of the people going... Woo! Yeah, and then, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. And then I saw somebody. I heard somebody next to me say, "I just can't do it, man." And then there <laughs> were a bunch of people. The funniest thing was, I want to say like maybe ten percent of the crowd was wearing masks. Mm-hmm. It was very low, and I thought certainly after Phoebe asked, because the Phoebe stands go so hard. So Phoebe played two shows. The second show on Sunday. Um, doors were at 6.30 and people started lining up at 5 in the morning. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that people weren't like, oh, f- our angel uh, in gothic <laughs> light, Phoebe Bridgers, told us to wear a mask, I think says something. But mm-hmm. um, the first time it came on, people were glancing around awkwardly as if, as if they wanted to see if Phoebe was looking at them yeah, and right. seeing that they were not hot. Yeah. <laughs> And there were some um, young women behind us. The other thing that was so funny about the show is I did see Phoebe, as you know, in Philadelphia outdoors. Yeah. And at that show, huge range of people, like teenage girls, college-age girls, people my age, uh, older people, like people in their 40s, and then also some people with their kids. Yeah. This show, hands down, I was the oldest person there that didn't have a child Mm. that I was with, Mm -hmm. like that I was accompanying. Clearly I have a child. Like I was sitting in between two people that were under 21 when I was waiting in line. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it was like very funny to see everybody like, just be like, yeah, I'm not going to wear a mask. Oh, one other thing about this concert. So like I said, so do you know the show normal people? Uh, no, not really. So the show Normal People is based off the Sally Rooney novel Normal People. Yeah. It stars Des- Daisy Edgar Jones, who is also in the Hulu show um, Under the Banner of Heaven okay. as the woman that's murdered. Yeah. And is also going to be – she's apparently only in book ad- book adaptations because I saw another ad for a uh, movie that she's in. She's going to be in the adaptation for Where the Crawdads Sing. Okay. And it's also got Paul Mascal. Paul Mescal was in the music video for Phoebe's song Savior Complex, which was directed by Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Mm-hmm. Paul Mescal and 
Phoebe Bridgers are now engaged. They mm-hmm. started dating after they met each other on this thing. Yeah. When I was in line, there was this high school student, and I know she was in high school because she talked about it, unironically reading normal people. Okay. <laughs> and I thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever seen in my life. She also, it was a hardback novel, Will. Sure. It. She was 18 pages in. (laughs) It's not like she was in the middle of this novel. She was like, well, I guess I'll bring the novel that the that Phoebe Bridgers fiance was in the show it was based on to the Phoebe Bridgers show and start it at the Phoebe Bridgers show in line. That sounds like something I would do if I were her age. (laughs) Yeah, incredible. I was like, oh, you don't know how funny you're being, but you're being so funny. Mm hmm. So from there, should we take it to old business? Oh, yeah. Old business. I have my favorite set of old business, which is a new misheard lyric. Yes. Are you familiar with the song It's My Life by John Bon Jovi? Yeah, basically. Okay. So the chorus is... Can I... Know, wait, 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 wait. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. So it's... I don't know what you heard it as. Yeah. But surely this has something to do with the lyric, like Frankie said, I did it my way. Yes. Yeah. How did you know? <laughs> How did you know? It's a, I mean, it's a little bit of a tough lyric. <laughs> and it definitely was something that I had to think about more than once <laughs> when I was, I don't know, 11 hearing this song yeah. or something. So I heard the song in the car and for whatever reason, like it was on the radio, and for whatever reason, the way my speakers were, I just heard the lyrics a little bit more clearly and I realized he said, like Frankie said, Mm -hmm. do you want to guess? And I have another layer to this on top of this that I learned later. So do you want to guess what I thought it said? Mm, So specifically the words are like Frankie said? So I thought it was like Ba ba ba! Mm-hmm. I did it my way. Uh-huh. The ba 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 was the part I got wrong. Like frankincense. So close. Okay. I thought it was like Frankenstein. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. That's way better. <laughs> and Kenny was like, "Did you never question this?" And I was like, "No, I assumed he was referring to the monster mm-hmm. incorrectly." Yeah. And I thought he was just saying, like, you know. Franken- like Frankenstein, I did it my way. Yeah, yeah. Like Frankenstein had to make his own way. He was the first of his kind. Mm-hmm. Okay, so as this happened, I was telling my coworkers about this. Um, my co-editors specifically thought this was super funny. And one of the things I said to them was I was like, I cannot believe part of the reason that I could not hear this was because I now understand that He's referring to I Did It My Way by Frank Sinatra. But who calls Frank Sinatra Frankie? Mm -hmm. And Tim said, my co-editor, well, I mean, people from New York and New Jersey that thinks that think that they like knew him, right? Right. That like feel like they knew him. Mm -hmm. And they're like douchebags. So then I said the same thing to Lex, this whole conversation I had, and then also the conversation with Tim. And Lex was like, Wait a second. And she starts like typing on her laptop. And I thought she was actually just responding to an email, which is something she does in our meetings a lot. No shade to her. She's very busy. Um, And she goes, okay. Frank Sinatra is John Bon Jovi's uncle. Uh, uh, <laughs> great, great uncle. Yes. And- <laughs> so, yeah, the, the, the 
that's funny in and of itself. And then also funny just for, for me, from my perspective, I have an Uncle Frankie <laughs> who that lyric always made makes me think of. Oh, that's so sweet. Like I just I and- associate the name Frankie with my Uncle Frankie. So if I hear it in that song, same association. So the other funny thing about this is First off, do you know that John Bon Jovi's real name is John Bon Jovi? <laughs> yes, I believe I did know that, yes. <laughs> Which is the first time I saw that I could not breathe. I was laughing so hard. Mm-hmm. It's so silly. So apparently, I said to... So Lex was like, well, they never met each other. And I was like, so that's even weirder, right? Like, you're... She was like, because John Bon Jovi was like doing music when Frank Sinatra was still alive. And I was like, what? I did not realize that Frank Sinatra died in like 99. I realized that because my my father was a fan and would listen to mm. Frank Sinatra. And more than that, would um, imitate uh, Frank Sinatra. That Ca- is lovely. Ca- Hello, Steve. Yeah. I love this for you. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, Frank Sinatra was one of the, those like funny voices that was yeah. like in, in the house, uh, you know. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, I was, I was aware of it when Frank Sinatra died when I was nine years old. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I don't know why my mom, my mom was very, made a point for me to know when people died that were important. Like she, I mean, this is slightly different, but she like made a big deal of me knowing who Princess Diana was. Mm -hmm. Um, she would be like, she touched people who had AIDS. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but yeah, so that. spread in the news. (laughs) so yes that's my update that's my misheard update can i do a little bit old business now please so i we have to talk about it oh you texted me in the past month oh yes (laughs) uh two different stories in the news about a little program called the (laughs) handmaid's tale yes and the first was Actually, the first is more interesting. So the the yeah. second was there's a premiere date for season five, and it's the it's in this September. Yeah, it's soon. It's like September fifteenth or something like that. And, but the first piece of news before that was that Alexis Bledel, mm-hmm. uh, Rory Gilmore herself, announced she was leaving the show prior to season five. Yeah. Uh, which is. Which is as bad of news as could happen. Uh, because, to as, this as show. I said, she was really good on the show, mm-hmm. and I felt like she, every time she was on, she was, I felt like she was doing the show in the way that the show, like if the show n- needed to exist, she was doing it the best way, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yes. She was not, she, Alexis Bledel would never have suggested that they turn the Washington Monument into a cross. I hope not. <laughs> Sincerely hope not. But I also, I sincerely hope that there's a reason uh, that she left the show that has something to do with something else that we'll be seeing her in. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's Sisterhood of the Traveling Pants 3, fingers crossed. <laughs> um, you know, everything's coming back for a, a legacy sequel and or, or reunion. May- so Maybe she was just like, yeah, I didn't know that um, they were going to let June become a rapist. And so... <laughs> I'm like done with the show now. There are lots of justifiable reasons to <laughs> exit without having an, a, an excuse um, or a, a, yeah, something else to go uh, do. But um, 
yeah, you know, I just I enjoy seeing her on screen and hope that uh, this means that I'll see her in something better. Um, they've already done the Gilmore Girls uh, again uh, yes. a few Except years ago that. and you presumably won't bother doing it again, at least not at this time. Um, so uh, to, to stay tuned to the Smug Buds for <laughs> inevitable coverage of how Alexis Bledel's untimely exit will be handled. Does that show come out weekly? I think so. Yeah, I think it. I would did. be willing to do multiple episodes on this season. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just you mean spin off the Smug Buds into uh, a weekly recap podcast of the Handmaid's yes. Tale. That's tempting. Um, <laughs> I think maybe we'll, not weekly, maybe biweekly. We'll have to wait and see if it's if it's uh, justifiable. If, if, yes. Uh, if we have that much to say after uh, one or two episodes. Yeah. Or like if um, maybe we just do like a mid season and then an end of season, but I would, I would be willing to do more than one episode on this. Cause I just, because I can't imagine that this season is going to be anything, but I, I mean like what else they, I mean, I know I already brought this up once, but when you, when we were doing that podcast episode the last time and you were like, this is the one where June is the rapist now. I was like, yes, it's like you have taken this thing and just completely ripped it into shreds. Like you've set it on fire and then you've peed on the ashes. Like what else can they do, Will? <laughs> uh, yeah, well, presumably there's an arc for June coming up where she's this like avenging angel leading the resistance. Mm-hmm. Um not to say that <laughs> there's anything good about that, uh, but just that it uh, seems uh, possible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, okay. Yeah. I'm open to that possibility come uh, September, October. Um, I might pitch that we um, take it to Twitch rather than That's fine clogging too. the podcast feed with it. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We shall see. But on to today's business. Yeah, so you don't know what we're talking about today. I haven't told you. Uh, no, you haven't. I have a couple of ideas of what it could be based on what you've told me in what now feels like the distant past. I don't know if yes. your plans now are still what they were then. So I this is going to be I'm, – I, I'm trying to come up with a clever title for this, but I think the title is going to be something like How to Never Come Out or something like that. Hmm. And I want to talk about how, and part of the reason I want to talk about this is there's it's twofold. I want to I want to talk about like how to raise, not raise. I hate that term. I want to talk about like how to parent and care for young children in a way that they never have to come out to you. Mm-hmm. And part of the reason I want to talk about this is because you know Kenny and I have done this very intentionally with our child, and also because I've had like two or three people message me privately in the past like three or four months. Specifically because they either have a child of their own or they know a parent with a child. Um, and they're try- and that person has said, like, I'm trying to figure out how to teach my kid about gender and sexuality um, in a way that's not super binary. And I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> because they perhaps understand it at a really high level or at a, or at a really complex adult level. But they don't know how to, like, translate that to children. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's what I would like to talk about today. Okay. I'll allow um, it. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, um, and the, and, oh, and so that's the first reason. But the second reason is because, as you may know, mm. there is some fucking terrible anti-trans legislation coming out across the nation right now to the point that I could be a felon depending on what state I'm living in. Mm-hmm. Or would be ta- my child would be taken away by Child Protective Services. Right. Um, and I don't mean that hypothetically. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean nor, that very literally. Nor hyperbolically. Yes, nor hyperbolically. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, if I was in some certain states, um, Texas, I think, is the one where I'd probably, my child would probably be taken away by CPS. Mm-hmm. Florida is also getting up there. But I think that I might get away in Florida just because... Um, there's a certain line between like actual medical transition versus social transition, but um, yeah, it's really bad. And um, when the sports bans were coming out, I was not super worried. Um, those are really bad and not good, but um, not every child has to play sports. And so while they're a huge problem, um, it's not sort of like it's something that you can sort of go out of your way to avoid if you need to. Um, I'm, of course, referring to, um, you know, bans. Basically, it's just like various rules that would basically not allow trans children to participate in sports Mm -hmm. at a school level, which is like non – I mean, it's competitive, but it's not like professional. It's not like people are making money. Like the point of school sports is to create community and camaraderie. And I know that some people use it to get scholarships, but like that's not – people don't – that's not really the point. You know what I mean? That's not supposed to be the point anyway. Some of the legislation there now is also suggesting things like having children, if a ch- if any child is accused of being trans, they have to have a genital exam, um, which is so invasive. Oh my god! Like even if you are a like this is going, which is to say, this is just hurts children because this is going to affect trans children who are very vulnerable, but it's also going to affect cis children and traumatize cis children. Mm-hmm. So yes, th- that is the reason I'm bringing this up because I think part of the reason why these parents are reaching out to me is because they're realizing, oh, I can't just sort of, you know, naturally let my child discover these things. I sort of have to sort of more actively be saying like, it's okay if you see somebody that you think is a man, but they're wearing a dress or somebody that you see who um, has boobs, but otherwise looks like a man. Um, and so... Yeah, that's why I'm talking about this. Yeah. It's real fun. It's it's lighthearted. It's um <laughs> it's it puts you in mind of the start of summer. <laughs> it's like a like a like the ice cream truck just rolling into the into your neighborhood. Yeah, it's sipping a Mai Tai on the beach. <laughs> so I do have an outline. You? <laughs> so the first thing is I'm going to start from the beginning. A child is born. <laughs> uh, I think I know the child's name, possibly. It starts with yes. a J and then second initial is C. Um, yeah, what child is this <laughs> What, child, what child is this? Someone but get this know, child. Let's say you're a parent and, you know, a chi- your child is born and now you have this tiny baby. Yeah. Um, 
Or the in, first... the, in the case of my parents, <laughs> a rather large baby. How much did you weigh again? Nine pounds, nine ounces. That's right. That's right. Almost 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Nine and a half pounds. Okay, so the child is born, and here's the first thing, which is that there was a push for a while for children. There were some, like, sort of radical parents that were raising their children, quote, gender neutral. Mm -hmm. And I'm putting this in quotes because I don't think gender neutral exists, Mm -hmm. as we've discussed in my clothing episode. Mm -hmm. Um, Gender neutral is male, and... um, You mean it, it tends to be coded that way? Yes. Because there's no gender neutral dress mm-hmm. yet. Um, but also what they mean when they say they're raising their child gender neutral is that they're using they pronouns for this child. And they're not revealing through pronouns what genitals that child has. Mm-hmm. And I am not for this. <laughs> uh-huh. And I wanted to say why. The first reason is that... Um, Children don't care about pronouns for the most part. I'm never going to say that there isn't a child that's really identified with a pronoun over another pronoun. But I interact with many preschoolers on a daily basis, and they use the wrong pronouns all the time. Pronouns are a very specific grammatical structure mm-hmm. um, that uh, is hard to learn. It's hard to use, learn when to use them correctly. Um, and... Kids screw them up constantly. My child is very bad at them, um, but so is all of my child's peers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so using they is not actually going with – ch- with the specific child is probably not going to actually teach them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, there's something to be said, I suppose, for the people around you. Mm-hmm. But by the same token – I feel like the I feel like the goal there from the people I've read who have done this has been to put their child into some neutral zone mm-hmm. as if like by making the choice to use they pronouns they've somehow like removed the bonds of gender from their child when in actuality there are plenty of very gendered people that use they pronouns mm-hmm. they are just the gender is just not the binary i think that's the problem is they think that this third option is outside of the binary and then is thus like completely removed from it when in reality you're still gendering your child Mm -hmm. you're just gendering them in a you're choosing a different gender for them for them to be represented as and you could still technically be misgendering them Mm -hmm. because we just don't know what their gender is yet Mm -hmm. does that make sense yeah and and in fact if they uh, wanted to accomplish uh, the same thing um, there is another means by which they could and perhaps should be doing it which is never using any pronouns for their child. You cannot misgender someone by simply yes. using their name uh, as, as long as they don't have... And there are, I call them no-noun people, which I don't know if that's offensive or not, but <laughs> occasionally there was somebody, there's a food... Was it a food writer? No, it was a food writer's wife. Mm-hmm. I, on Instagram the other day, said that this person was not going to use, prefer, preferred to not use pronouns. Yes. And I sent it to Sarah and I said, a rare no-noun. Yes. I, I, I believe that we've all seen the funny joke, which has probably been made by multiple people on Twitter or other social media that says, uh, do, don't, don't use any pronouns for me. Do not refer to me at all. 
do not perceive <laughs> yeah. me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But yeah, so like, which is which is to say that like, especially when people are older and they have like real attachments to language, I think that obviously you should respect people's pronouns. Um, but I think that for children, especially under fives, especially children that don't have language, I just don't think it's practical, nor do I think it's actually adding anything to that child's experience. Mm-hmm. Um, because Elliot, for example, had a much more, a much wider and more in-depth understanding of gender in general. Yeah. Before they ever had a sense of pronouns. Okay. I just want, I want to. It's not important that I do this, but just because, yes. but because I thought of it, I would like to uh, push back slightly on just one specific thing that you said, oh, which yes. is that when when these when these radicals <laughs> are 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 using they to refer to their baby, yeah. I believe you said you could be misgendering them, yes, by using a pronoun you think is genderless, yes. The reason I want to push back is because perhaps it is impossible to misgender someone when they sure, have yes. no idea of what their yes. own gender is, of what gender is in general. They have no agency. Yes. <laughs> they, they have no you know sense of self in that way. Yeah, I think you're right. I guess I just mean like, um, I guess what I mean is like, to make that decision is just as much as making is just as gendered of a decision as deciding to go with the right. gender that yeah. matches what they were assigned at birth. Yeah, you made your point and I understood it by saying, you know, their assumption is that they is a genderless pronoun when in, in yes. fact it is a different gender. Yes. Uh, many different genders, really. Just yes. like she and he also encompass many different genders. Right, absolutely. Um, but yes, so... That said, I don't think, however, th- that um, you should suddenly only use gendered language for your child in general. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think there are different ways that you can go about this that actual, actually do mean more to your child. Because again, a, a, pronouns are just so specific to grammar. Like I cannot emphasize this enough of having trying like trying to teach my child how to speak properly. It is such a grammatical structure as opposed to... Things that are labels, like kids learn nouns and like verbs first, right? Because they're learning like, you know, that is a ball. So I'm going to call it a ball. I'm running. So I'm just going to say run, right? Um, And so one of the things that I think is really important to do is like, we tried to not go out of our way to like refer to our child as like, you know, I hate when parents will be like, I can't like they have they're holding this tiny baby and they're like I'm finally a girl mom. I can't believe like my daughter and they're like they talk they use this language like it's like a like a trophy that they're holding up, right? Yes, we've had the conversation before. I think on the podcast about uh-huh. hashtag #girl dad hashtag #boy mom. <laughs> yeah. And the tropes associated with those monikers and i think it's just so much easier to say like my kid my child and i think that that is freeing um because the things that kids are picking up on at this age are like terms that their parents feel endeared to yeah right so like if 
if you have a kid and you are like, you're my daughter, we're girls together, like, look at us being girls together and that's our identity when they're like two or three, when they're going, you might, I mean, and I don't think that this is done maliciously, but like, you might be feeling a real community with this person and in reality, that person might be internalizing, my mom loves me because I'm a girl. And my mom is going to be upset if I'm not a girl anymore. Which, as a note, there are plenty of parents that react that way when their kids come out as trans. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people who very publicly have had multiple children to try to get one with the set of genitals that matches whatever set of genitals they don't have yet. Mm-hmm. In their children. And so it's not an un, unfounded fear. Mm-hmm. But that, and this is what I mean like when I say, and I guess I can sort of like shift to this slightly, like what I mean when I say how, like never make your kid come out, is like I want my child and I hope and I think it's ideal for the children um, of the world to come to their conclusion about their genders in the same way that they learn about anything else, right? So, like, they learn about language. They might get it wrong. They might use some words incorrectly. They might not understand grammatical structures. But eventually, their language just happens for them, right? Mm. They just can do it. And some kids, it takes longer than other kids. Um but it's not a matter of – or, like, even, like, food preferences, right? Or or preferences in what sports or activities kids want to do. They try out different things, and eventually they land on knowing what their preference, preferences are. And I'm not saying that gender is a preference necessarily, but just, like, it's a, it's a journey of discovery as you grow older instead of a – you were given a given a name, and now if you want to change that, you have to make a formal declaration. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, mm-hmm. I follow. So yeah, I think it's very easy to just be like, my kid, my child. Um, but, and now we'll get back to they pronouns. I do think it makes sense to not be super gendering to the people around you unless you know what their gender is. So, like, for example, you let's say somebody is mowing the lawn and it is a person from a lawn mowing company. When I think back through my 30 years of life, I cannot think of a single time in my whole life of having living in a place with HOAs that had outside companies come in and mow my lawn that I saw somebody from one of those companies be a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but... If when from the time Elliot was very small, if Elliot pointed at somebody who was, let for example, cutting the grass, somebody who's probably like a real beefy man and said, you know, what's that? I would say something like that person is mowing a lawn with their lawnmower. Mm-hmm. And Elliot picked up on this. So now so then when they were, you know, when they couldn't even say full sentences, even though they were very bad at pronouns like with me, like they'd be like. They'd be like, that's mama. He's a woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they saw somebody in public, they'd say, what What they doing? What that person doing? Mm-hmm. And I think that this is really important because now when there's, when Elliot sees somebody, they aren't necessary. And then there's only so much you can do. You know what I mean? Like the gender will find it. That's the other thing is like gender will find a way. 
into your child. The binary will ooze itself into your child. Yes. But if you create a foundation, then that's not the expectation. That's paint on top, right? And that is something that the the kid can scrape away or do with what they please. You know what I mean? Yeah. Sorry, I can't I can't let the the phrase blank finds a way go by without having a <laughs> a Jeff Goldblum acknowledgement moment. I know, right? <laughs> Gender uh finds a way. It finds a way. And just like um that oh, what is that guy's name? Who's the paleontologist? You mean Sam Neil. Sam Neil, yeah. Sam Neil tying those two mm-hmm. rece- receiving ends of the seatbelt together. That's right. <laughs> um Kenny's favorite joke in that whole that's Kenny's favorite joke in that whole movie. It's pretty clever. They're back. So yes. They're back in theaters right now as we speak. I know. Kenny was so excited to see them. A lot of people saying it's not good. I've I saw Jenny Nicholson tweet something like my favorite thing right now is that my feed is like full of people wearing like all of this Jurassic World clothing, like like either themed clothing or they're dressed up or whatever. And then in the co- at parties for this movie, and then in the comments, people are like, "How is the movie?" And the person's like, "I wouldn't recommend it." Yeah, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> but that's fine. As Kenny said, if they make a movie about dinosaurs, I'm going to see it because I would like to see dinosaurs. <laughs> I've heard that's one of the complaints about the movie. <laughs> oh, is yes, I actually saw this. Dylan Roth um, posted about his review of the movie, and he was like, "The movie kind of doesn't really care about dinosaurs that much." So we'll see. I think Kenny's probably going to see it in the next two weeks. I think he's waiting for there to be less people in the theaters. Mm, the cinemas. The cinemas. Well, next week everyone will be seeing uh, Elvis. So. Uh, right. The, yes. the Jurassic World Dominion theaters will no longer be, be <laughs> overwhelmed. Oh, man. And I just, speaking of, this is related. Titanic is on Netflix now, mm-hmm. which we decided to rewatch. And I just like cried <laughs> most of the time. Yeah. I love that movie. I just completely love that movie. I love everything about that movie. Sure. Um, but also like, man. Talk about the like Jack Dawson and uh, Rose DeWitt bootacre to pansexual pipeline. <laughs> right. I think I saw you tweet that. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I was like, I was like, oh shit. This, like, this, it should have been so obvious to me. And did I ever tell you how my mom, how we desperately wanted to see that movie and my mom would not let us see it in theaters? Maybe. So I was nine. So, yeah. I mean, I don't think my mom made the wrong choice. Let me put it that way. Mm-hmm. But um, I was nine and she wouldn't let us see it in theaters. My brother was obsessed with Titanic, by the way, like saved up money to buy this box set that had reproductions of like the menus and stuff in it. Like really, like a really, it was like a $50 box set in what, 1999. Yeah. <laughs> and my brother saved up money for this. Cool. Um. So finally, we got it on the double VHS that it came mm-hmm, on. Mm-hmm. And my mom watched it. And while well, we were at my grandmother's house across the street and to see if we could watch it. And we came back and she said, I will let you watch the scene. Because at this point, we knew about the movie because mm-hmm. it had already been out. It was on VHS. I had been singing My Heart Will Go On every day for a year. Sure. Um, my mom was like, I will let you see the scene where they are drawing but I will not let you see the sex scene. And I was like, that sounds reasonable. 
And I will say, I think maybe my mom made a mistake there. <laughs> yeah, I think maybe flip those. Yeah. The sex scene, you see no titties. No. She's wearing like, I don't know what, but it completely covers her like a tube top style. Mm-hmm. There's no thrusting. There's no, you barely see Leonardo DiCaprio's body. You see like his shoulders. Mm-hmm. And they're just sort of like sweaty and looking at each other. It is barely a sex scene, I realize now. And that drawing scene, whoo, whoo boy. Which, did you know that was the first thing they shot? No, I did not know that. (laughs) Kenny told me this. Because I guess a lot of the sets weren't built yet. Oh, uh uh-huh. But this particular set was. So they were just like scrambling to try to find things to shoot. Mm Mm-hmm. And so this was the first thing they shot. And do you know who actually did the drawing of... Um, Kate, of um, Kate Winslet. I feel like I did know this, but I can't think of it now. Is it? It's a name, you know. Is it James Cameron? It was James Cameron. Okay, yeah, that that makes sense. And you can tell that it's his hands. I uh, knew that it was his hands, but I don't think I knew that he was actually physically, uh, which makes sense, obviously. Mm-hmm. But I don't think like he actually did a drawing of her, like, and yeah. then. But you can tell it's his hands because it's not. Leonardo DiCaprio's mm-hmm. 19 or 21 year old. That would look <laughs> different. Yeah. Silky smooth hands. But anyway, that's Titanic talk. Sorry, we're, we're so far off topic, but I have to add, speaking of mm. Titanic and Elvis, which I brought up before, I just watched a movie uh, for the first time uh, called Romeo plus Juliet. Oh, so this is what I was going to say is that now I want to rewatch all of the um, young Leo movies, including Romeo plus Juliet. Well, I watched it because it's a Baz Luhrmann movie. Yeah. And so is Elvis. And uh, now next on my agenda is I have not seen The Great Gatsby. Oh, Will, I'm so excited for you. Leo and directed by Baz. Um, so uh, I'm going to watch that as well before uh, Elvis comes out next weekend. And uh, hopefully enjoy all this in the theater. Did you like Romeo and Juliet? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think you'll like Great Gatsby. I was uh surprised that you hadn't seen it. Yeah. I I didn't have an interest in it at the time. But uh, and and certainly if if I had seen Romeo plus Juliet at any time several years ago, I would have hated it and thought that it was stupid. (laughs) (laughs) um so i'm glad you saw that at the right time then yes yeah i i've i've grown to appreciate a wider variety of things and today yes i can thoroughly enjoy that movie i will say like leonardo i have such a soft spot for leonardo dicaprio which i know is maybe not like that hot of a take but like oh he's sort of gotten grosser as he's gotten older and he has Mm -hmm. that problem where he can't date women that are younger than 20 older than 25 and like i don't love that you yeah. know that's one of my least favorite things yeah but god every time i see him in a movie it's like oh my brain just fireworks he's so good i have and, a, a movie to recommend that you watch that i bet uh you haven't seen i had never ooh. heard of it until it was recently covered on the blank check podcast <sighs> uh. <laughs> uh it's called the quick and the dead Oh, no, I haven't heard of that. And it's a Western uh, directed by Sam Raimi. Ooh. And a young Leonardo DiCaprio is like fourth build in it, has like a pretty big part. Nice. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really fun watch. 
Okay, yeah, I'll I'll find that and watch it. Um, yeah, that Leo. I like like when Leonardo DiCaprio won his fucking Oscar. I cried. Why? <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy for him. There was this like video of him as they engrave it backstage. Yeah. And I was just like weeping watching this video. I was like, I'm so glad. <laughs> he so won dumb. for The Revenant. Is that I right? think he won for The yeah. Revenant. I, yeah. I still haven't seen that movie. I've, I don't want to watch that movie. He I've, doesn't look hot I've or heard beautiful most, in that movie. <laughs> I've heard mostly backlash to that movie. And so I probably won't see it. It's also like, you know, I don't like being cold. Mm-hmm. Why would I watch a movie where he just looks cold the entire time? Yeah. And upset. But it, like, I loved mm-hmm. Shutter Island. I haven't seen Clearly, it. I love Inception. Oh, of course. Yeah. I can't. I have not seen the um, Quentin Tarantino movie. I enjoyed that. Um, I loved Wolf of Wall Street. Just haven't seen it. Leonardo DiCaprio does really good. Um, if anything, it's worth it to see the physical acting he does. Mm-hmm. Because like at one point, he does drugs and like you see the scene of what he thinks he's doing and then it's the scene again and he like is like falling down these stairs and it is some of the best physical acting I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think I've loved every single thing I've seen him in. Like truly found just great joy in. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that makes me, f- there's something wrong with me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, possibly maybe we just need to do a leonardo dicaprio podcast uh yeah i'll pencil that in next to our (laughs) handmaid's tale podcast okay so here's the other thing in terms of like practical things that you can do this seems really obvious but i think it makes i think you need to be very intentional with the way that you model different behaviors around gender and i'm going to start by talking about toys here And then sort of like expand out. So we always made sure that we had a variety of toys for Elliot. Mm -hmm. Um, But very specifically, we bought Elliot like this little baby for their first birthday. And very famously, (laughs) very famously, Elliot, I would model playing with this baby. So I would hold up this baby. I'd be like, oh, it's a cute baby. And like I'd kiss it. And I'd be like, and Elliot would come over. We'd be in our little playpen that we had at the time. We'd pick up the baby and throw it mm-hmm. out of the playpen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just yeet it. Ye- yeah. And was so clearly jealous of this baby. And then the time that we tried to record this was the first time that Elliot was so sweet with this little baby. <laughs> but when I had posted this video, um, a friend um, that we know from college had posted and she has a a son who is a little bit older than Elliot, maybe like six months, six three to six months older. Mm-hmm. So like technically already in kindergarten, but not that much, not really technically that much older, but like with the cutoffs. And she was like, oh my God, I, you know, I wish my son did this. Like I'm trying to get him ready for his little sister coming and he's just been like so not interested. And I sort of asked, like, what you did. And what she had done was she had just purchased this doll and sort of placed it in front of him. And I was like, you can't just, like, you have, you, kids can play with toys however they want. And they're going to play with toys the way they're not meant to be played with. I'm putting in real heavy scare quotes. Um, But you have to actually model over and over and over what you're trying to teach them about 
the toy or the thing. So like with a baby doll, it's not like caretaking is inherent to girls over boys. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You ha- But you do have to show them what you think they should maybe be doing with it. Especially if you have a child that is in preschool or daycare where this child maybe is not getting that same sort of modeling reflected to them in those settings, which can be lean more heavily on the binaries because of the people that are running them. Mm-hmm. And so, like, you can't, you cannot simply, like, if you have a child and you're trying to get this child to be interested in things that maybe they're less interested in, you can't simply put the child in, in a situation and then when they don't do it right away, be like, oh, well... <laughs> looks like my child is just naturally a boy, which means he doesn't want to take care of babies. It's so fucked up. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, if you could sort of cartoon style look through a window into my brain, uh, you would see that for the past five minutes while you've been talking, ever since you said the word toy, the only thing that's been going on in my head, because we were just talking about movies and what's in the theater, the only thing in my head is is in 1993, Andy got a Buzz Lightyear toy based on a, <laughs> after seeing a movie. This is that movie. <laughs> is that how that starts? Apparently, yes. I, no. I, no, I haven't seen it, but apparently that apparently that is in the movie. That is like. Those words are the framing device for the movie. You know, it's so funny because I feel like people have been like um, really dunking on the concept of that movie. And I think it's great. (laughs) These things are slightly more connected than they seem because for days or longer, my Twitter feed, this is representative of, of my Twitter feed. At any given time, there are two things going on. And lately, it's been people just understandably, justifiably freaking out about the type of legislation that you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. for context and people dunking on trying to explain how Lightyear is a movie <laughs> from the universe of the Toy Story movies. Uh, it's just alternating between uh, takes on those two things. What did people think it was going to be? I thought they made it very clear what that movie was. I think so too. People people <laughs> people are reacting like they never watched like I did a little cartoon called Buzz Lightyear of Star Command, which is the cartoon that Andy would have watched and yeah. I think in fact had an intro that was his toys watching it on TV or something that like that. That makes sense, yeah. Um but also, I mean, the the whole thing started with a tweet from Chris Evans. That, uh-huh. that where Chris Evans basically framed it as this is a movie about the real Space Ranger. Um, so that that set a precedent that that put it in a peculiar context, made it di- more difficult for a lot of people. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. And apparently there's also a same sex kiss in that movie. Yes, I've heard that as well. I can't figure out who kisses. I have not thought about it. I want to know who kisses. <laughs> I want to know who the kissing people are. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would like to see the kissing. I would like to see the kissing, please. Um, yeah, I, I think that like 
with toys and stuff like that, toys are just like a way to model behavior. And which is also to say, like, I think you need to be intentional. And if you're not super used to, if you're somebody that's like, I want to be better at this as a parent, like, you just need to, like, fuck everything you know and, like, go out of your way to, like, get toys that are going to be outside of what you think is appropriate based on what you grew up with, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, we got Elliot a kitchen. And that's very often considered a girl's toy still. Mm-hmm. And if you look at them, a large proportion of them are fucking pink. Right. And that's – which, ugh, this is the other thing. I guess this is the other thing I'm getting at too, which is that, like, I think that the sort of, like – this is, this is me galaxy braining here, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, if the small brain – I can never remember these fucking labels. If the small brain is, like, there's a binary and the big brain is, like, girls can do what they want or whatever, <laughs> <laughs> the galaxy brain is, what if we just say fuck it to gender and everything is everywhere all at once? Also a movie. Also a movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. But truly, like, what if, what if, like, you know. Thank you for keeping me, <laughs> keeping me interested <laughs> and engaged just by dropping movie, contemporary movie references <laughs> into the conversation. This is how I got to reel them in. Uh, but, like, what if, what if, like, like, I, w- I wish we could get to a point where, like, I, in my brain, in my, like, dumb brain, I'm, like, what if like pronouns didn't matter really? Mm-hmm. Like what if what if it didn't matter if you misgendered somebody because pronouns were just like so use like they were just a function of like replacing somebody's name and like nobody really cared which pronouns you used because like it wouldn't mean life or death for mm-hmm. them, right? right? I mean that's where it comes down to is misgendering somebody beside misgendering people can be really dysphoric, obviously. And it also and that's a problem, but it's also like a matter of life or death for people in certain social situations. Of they're misgendered and like what if we got to a point at least for like children in schools i guess i'm imagining this where like it's not that gender is one or the other it's just everything every people can just do what they want Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they can play they can play with with what their expectations of gender and gender expression are um in the same way that they play with their toys and model the people around them and imagine the careers that they could have or the future that they could have. Which is also to say, okay, so I'll do this and then I'll get to my sort of next sort of like bigger set of questions. Which is that um, you also need to model those behaviors in your relationship. Mm-hmm. So assuming that you are in a partnered relationship, you need to make sure that you are going out of your way to not just do one behavior over another, right? So, like, clearly this can't work for everything all of the time, (laughs) just practically. But, like, yeah, I think that um, you should make sure that, like, maybe – not only the mom is the one making all of the doctor's appointments. Mm-hmm. Maybe not only the mom is the person that takes the kid to every single appointment or or orientation or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe you need to go out of your way to work 
you know, help with yard work if you're a mom. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it sounds so dumb and so simple. Like, it seems so obvious. Yeah. And yet, do you know how often I still run into this in my coworker, with my life, the lives of my friends and my coworkers who have children, where it's like, you know, I'll have a coworker say to me, like, oh, well, my husband doesn't really cook, but he grills. And I'm like, what year is it? <laughs> where it's like, literally, they're like, I don't know what to do for dinner because I don't want to order out and I feel sick. And I'm like, there is a whole other ass adult here that can cook the food you have already purchased. And they're like, no, that's impossible. That wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that if you have kids, that's going to show your kids that if the mom is sick, well, I guess you're going to fucking starve because the only thing the dad can do is grill. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with like, I don't know, like yard work and shit. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, dads are the ones out there pulling weeds and mowing the lawn. And it's like, again, I'm not saying that like, clearly people have preferences and like i know kenny for example like i'm the one that mostly cleans the bathrooms kenny's the one that mostly does the vacuuming like that's just the way it is maybe elliot will grow up to be like dad's vacuums and mom dad's vacuum and mom's clean the bathroom but like i just feel like you have to think about the way that you have allowed gender and the roles of gender and the roles of labor that you are performing in your household and understand that your child is going to see that and reflect that and internalize that as what gender means. Right. And that's what I mean when I say modeling. Mm-hmm. Modeling is also the actions you are taking on a daily basis. Right. And it seems so obvious, except for the fact that I know so many people that just it's impossible. it seems impossible for them to comprehend. Mm-hmm. And I also think that it's worthwhile that um, I don't think it's just enough to say that, like, girls can do anything. Right. And I don't think it's just enough to say that, like, you know, you know, boys can be caretakers or whatever if you don't have a model of that in your life. Mm-hmm. Because that's sort of like saying a girl can be a pre- the president. Um. That might technically be true. It's theoretical. <laughs> yeah. And yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like, um, yeah, I just, I think that, and and speaking of which, by the way, they have found in, um, that there is a trickle down effect of people in power. When you have somebody in power that's from a group that has not traditionally been in power. So whether that be a queer person, a woman, a person of color, in the lower elections below that person, like directly below that person, they see an uptick of people who start running for those elections and winning. Mm-hmm. So literally, like I just, I so badly wanted us to have a woman president for this time. And the reason was not, it's it was not even like, you know, everything aside of everything, <laughs> everything that you could possibly want in a president aside the reason was because i knew there would be a trickle down effect because they've done studies on this Mm -hmm. and i knew that that person even knowing that that person because whoever is the president is going to do things that are evil that is part of their job is that they're going to end up doing things that are evil and that are unforgivable knowing that i was asking whatever woman was in that position to be in a position where she would have blood on her hands i knew that there'd be a trickle down effect to other places to companies to organizations, to government. And 
I just really wanted that. We didn't get it, but <laughs> yeah, if, if you you know, president's going to have blood on their hands. If you want that president with blood on their hands to be a woman, I've I've got good news for you. Your 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 best option has been there, done that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't even get to be the president. Um, but yes, not so, yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just stuck my tongue out yeah. at Will in a gross way. Yeah. Not in a gross way. like In, in a, a grossed way out that, face, yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, wasn't, I wasn't specifically showing Will something disgusting. Oh, and then media is the other thing. Uh-huh. Um, we talk about media a lot on the show. I've talked about kids' books. It's all I talk about. Yes. I think that – I guess it is all you talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Right. I'm over here like breaking my soul in half, and you're like, Have Bandersnatch you heard Wes sucked, Anderson? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that this is another thing where I th- think that it's worthwhile to model different sorts of entertainment and media to your children, and I think that that's important across the board. So, like, Elliot loves Lil Nas X. <laughs> Elliot loves Britney Spears. Elliot loves Casey Musgraves. Elliot loves. Um, I'm trying to think of us if there's a cis man that Elliot loves, and I can't. <laughs> Elliot mostly loves women and Lil Nas X, who's gay. Um, a cis, a cis straight man. I'm trying to think of, but um, you know, I went out of my way to show Elliot like a variety of music genres, and then a variety of people in those genres. Um, in terms of like. TV shows like the TV shows are also just like super gendered oh this is what I was getting at it's not bad to be a girl I feel like that's part of what this comes down to too is it's like the idea that's like oh for girls everything is pink nothing is wrong with everything being pink the problem is that everything is pink and the boys don't get to participate Mm -hmm. does that make sense yes yes like you shouldn't be like well, you know, I'm going to raise a strong girl that doesn't like pink. Who gives a shit if she likes pink? She should like pink. She should like unicorns if she wants to, right? Mm-hmm. But, like, the point is that you also give that opportunity across the board. And so if, you, like, we got a kitchen that wasn't pink because we got one from Ikea that I thought was nicer. <laughs> yeah. Because most of the pink ones are, like, plastic and not that. I Elliot doesn't have plastic toys, but I just thought that the IKEA one was nicer. Um, and I guess what I'm saying is like, you should not be teaching your kids like that's like very second wave is like very second second wave feminism is very much like you should be a man basically, uh-huh. and so you should reject these like items of femininity. And I understand why that happened. But I think that now it needs to be more like, no, it's all gender all the time. Everybody gets pink. Everybody gets unicorns. Everybody gets superheroes. Like, and when you're exposing your kids to TV shows, it should be like, yeah, here's My Little Pony. Here's Blue's Clues. Here's the friggin' Camp Cretaceous Jurassic World show that Elliot watched three and a half seasons of and is somehow scared of now and won't let us finish it even though we want to know what happens. Okay. Uh, sorry, if I seem distracted, it's because I was looking through the archives of it's a podcast called The Smug Buds. 
<laughs> to see if I've ever talked about something that wasn't popular media. And <laughs> the best argument for me covering anything other than that is uh, my episode about Old English. Right. Yes. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> yeah. 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 You're right. Yeah. I loved that episode. Oh, thanks. I also loved it because you had your notes from college. I hope uh, or grad school. Um, yeah, I, yeah. That's what I, I hope I I hope I did not uh, offend or insult you. I I believe that I was listening. Well, oh I, no, you were. You uh, totally were. Okay. But also, books is a great place where it's been a lot easier for them to push out media. Um, but also in books, you can get media like in media terms of media, you can get books that are actually quite definitional. Mm. So a book that I specifically want to recommend that I think every single parent should own is called It Feels Good to Be Yourself, a book about gender identity. And there's a lot of books that are very metaphorical, right? So mm-hmm. it's like there's one where like two worms fall in love and it's like they're gay worms or whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's plenty of books. Don't or, take or... that out of context. <laughs> These fucking you know, gay worms. <laughs> And, and there's nothing wrong with that. You know what I mean? Um, but I think that there's something to be said for giving kids straightforward definitions of stuff. Yes. And not sort of beating around the bush around it either. And this book does a very good – and honestly, I think a lot of parents can benefit from this book. Yeah. This book follows a kid who is, I think – and it's also – they do – this book um, has a lot of varying abilities and backgrounds as well. Yeah. Um. But it follows a, I believe, a trans girl who, and so it says her her identity is girl. She's transgender. When she was a baby, we guessed that she was a boy, but we were wrong. And when she was about six, she said, I'm a girl. And her parents believed her. And then it'll, but it also has like, this person's gender identity is non-binary. Sometimes they feel like a boy and sometimes they feel like a girl. This person's gender identity is also non-binary. They don't feel like any gender. And so it does a really good job of being very straightforward with saying like, it, it, and it also has the, the girl who's trans has a little brother who's cis and um, cisgender. And so it does a really good job of just saying like, these are a variety of options. Yeah. And all of them are good and all of them are okay. And here are the very specific definitions around them. Yes. Okay. Um, go ahead. No, I I don't know how much is left in your outline. But, but this point has given me, I think, a very good transition to my next tangent, which I promise is way more relevant than the others that have come before. So this, this I was going to, so, I mean, we can probably go to your tangent. That was, I, I sort of had this into two halves. The mm-hmm. first half was like, here are the sort of tangible things that you can do. Mm-hmm. And then the second half is sort of like, you know, what are the ramifications here? What is the purpose here? What is like, what does this mean? Like, what is our end goals? And so my transition here my thought here with ending with this transition was basically to be like, now that we've done all of these things, what is that going to look like? And so you can totally do your tangent. Okay, sorry. You're going to hear me frame this a lot because okay. I've had time to think about it. And the more I think about something, the more I think of ways to <laughs> uh, frame it. Um, yeah. And, and I've had time to think about this because 
I've known for a few months that you were going to do an episode about gender inspired by the horrible legislation news that's been going on for a while now. And I've thought of what is it about this topic that I uh, would be interested in discussing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, before the, the, the reason I bring it up now is because you were talking about how that book is uh, definitional. Mm -hmm. So um, before I say why that's a good transition, the privilege check uh, moment, obviously, as I've said many times, and in all cases, I'm, I'm on my pedestal of privilege. Um, As I said before, it's in, and you're already tall. It's uh, yeah, uh, so it, the view is, is uh, nice from up here, and uh, so is the weather. And and as I said, it's it's all over my Twitter news. Every day I log into Twitter, and my feed is filled with different voices saying, uh, "Hey, uh, just so you know, we're fighting for our lives. Uh, they're trying to make it legal to kill us." Um, this is life and death, right? And it's happening right now. Smash cut to me comfortably sitting in Dax Shepard's armchair with my feet <laughs> up on an ottoman and my fingers pressed together like Mr. Burns. <laughs> and all I can say is like, uh, yes, but let's talk about tautology, eh? Um, so acknowledging that this is a horrible look to present to the world, which is what I'm doing by putting it in a podcast and put, yeah. placing it on the internet. Uh-huh. Um, I'm going to try to do this without playing devil's advocate. Okay. I want to talk about a position which I am in opposition to, mm-hmm. but which I've seen and considered enough that I'm honestly interested. I'm curious how you respond to it. Okay. The, I, I think of this as the Graham Linehan position. Do you know, do you know who Graham Linehan is? No. He, he created, uh, he's created multiple things, but I, I mainly know him as the creator of a show called the IT crowd. Okay. Yes. Which you may know is British. It is. And so you may, you, you may see it coming. What's coming <laughs> just because I have identified a British person. Yes, 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 yes. Um, perhaps this is also the J.K. Rowling position. position. I, mm-hmm. I, probably it is, and it's a, and it's about definitions. Mm-hmm. And I I didn't when you told me you were going to talk about this. I didn't know necessarily you were going to talk about you know parenting a, a child, um, but it makes sense, and I think it's relevant to that angle on this topic because you have to you have to. I, I assume I'm not a parent. I haven't been there yet, but. I assume you have to define words for your child. All the time. Frequently. I had to explain what fail meant this morning. Great. Um, <laughs> also jerk yesterday. Uh, okay. Um, so the the position is, as, as we understand gender, mm-hmm. the best definition I can think of for the word man is... A person who identifies himself as a man. Yes. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh-huh. 
we've been taught you are not supposed to be able to use the word that you're defining uh-huh. when you're defining a word. Yeah. This is considered a tautology as as uh, I was once uh, speaking of college. You brought up college before. I don't have my notes from this class on me, but I was in a nonfiction class once where a student asked, what is a tautology? I don't remember how it came up in the conversation, but the professor who you know uh, said, uh, well, the, the thing about tautologies, guys, is that they're tautological, right, guys? <laughs> Um, uh, and as bad as that impression was, you know, what professor I'm referring to now, um, it's, it's, uh, you know, the tautology is, you know, it, it is what it is, whatever will be, will be, um, it's, it's, it's a redundant statement and it, it's so redundant that it's meaningless. Mm -hmm. So, okay. What, if there's an argument that that this matters at all. This is this is how I understand it. Mm-hmm. If we're going to define words with tautologies, and we can't define man and woman without using the words man and woman, then you know, look, I hate whether I agree with it or not. I hate to even just articulate a slippery slope argument mm-hmm. but but theoretically i suppose that if that is an acceptable standard for defining a word then we might live in a world where it's uh typical that you and i can use a word to mean totally different things mm-hmm and it becomes acceptable uh, in the public sphere to say, um, "Well, that was a well. That those are images of a large crowd." And by your definition of large, you may not think that that's a large crowd, and you may say that it's a fact that large mm-hmm. means something, and this cannot be considered a large crowd by the definition of large, but. Um, I have my own understanding of the definition of large and I, I have an alternative fact for you that in fact, that there was a very large crowd that day. Mm-hmm. So I can, so I pose this question to you. I have an and answer I, and I'm going to sound so smart. I could, but here's the thing I want, I consider you just for greater context and to greater complicate the framing device uh-huh. for, for my tangent i consider you an expert in this not because not just because you're a parent and you're a parent of your particular child and and friends come to you with questions like these but because um you uh went to school for poetry oh thank you i also went to school for creative writing i didn't specialize in poetry but i took a few poetry classes and still today, I cannot say that I have in my head a satisfactory definition for the word poem. Mm, yeah. The only definition of the word poem I can think of that covers it is it 
it's a collection of words that the author identifies as a poem. As a poem, yeah. And 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 so the tautology rears its head again, and 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 how do you? Is there a definition without a tautology, or is there an urgency for accepting a tautological definition? I think there's both, and I'm going to compare this to something, another system that we live in, that we that exists around us, which is marriage. Marriage is three possible things. It is a legal commitment, it is a religious commitment, and it is a personal commitment. When I got married, um, my mom gave a speech. And in that speech, she said, as far as I'm concerned, Liz and Kenny have been married for a long time, which was true. Kenny and I had made a personal commitment to curate our lives intertwined um, as I think could be defined as a marriage. When I got married, I did not feel any different than I did the day before. My life was exactly the same as it had been a few weeks before, if that makes sense. Um I also did not have constraints that had sometimes gotten in the way of people previously with marriage. Like I lived with Kenny already. We had our finances intertwined, et cetera, et cetera. We did not have a religious aspect to our marriage because we are both atheists. So there was nothing there. But we did want to have a legal commitment to one another because it made sense for us in the structure of the society that we live in. I think that gender also has a similar few set of columns. I think that gender is a personal understanding of oneself. I think that it is a reflection of the way society experiences you, um, which I, and the way that you experience society. Um, and then I think that there is some sort of biological component. And I don't mean that in a... Um, essentialist way mm -hmm. i mean that people have different bodies that respond differently to different treatments and have bodies that are shaped differently and you can um put various people into various groups based on those exp on that biological experience and that i think is related to gender mm -hmm. um even if you're looking at let's say for example trans men versus men versus intersex people you know I i'm not saying that they're very neat boxes i'm just saying that um i think that there's an experience there that is defined by one's biology mm -hmm. but it's a spectrum like everything else mm -hmm. <laughs> and so i think that um in terms of like how we define it you it depends on what situation you're in so um my, I'm not particularly tied to the identity of a woman. Mm -hmm. I feel very neutral about it. I think I've talked about this before. Yeah, we talked about this last time. Not yeah. my, not yeah. match, but your last time. The most gendered term that I feel a real association with is mother. Mm -hmm. um, because I've always felt like I was a mother. Right. And, but part of the reason that I've stuck with woman, which I really just don't care about. Mm -hmm. um, is because my experience in the world, my societal experience, has been that of a woman. You're treated like a woman, yes. I'm treated like a woman, exactly. 
And so um, my personal identity, I do sometimes think like, and I may have said that, said this before, but I'll say it again for our new listeners. <laughs> I made a face mm, like yeah. new listeners, but right. I do sometimes think like maybe if I had been born in a later time, I might actually pick a different term for my gender identity. Um, because I do feel a lot of sort of like, like identify with a lot of things that have been labeled masculine in my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, which is to say, but I feel fine with this because of the societal way that I've been. I've been. I I heard River Butcher once um, talk about how uh, I'm not sure if that person is using both he and they or just he now, but we'll we'll go with they. Um, okay. I'm not sure if they've been used. I'm not. Sh- I know that before they had transitioned, um, they had even said like, "I will always have been conditioned female, and that will always be part of my experience of existing in this world." Was not the fact that their gender was female, but that that's the way they were conditioned mm-hmm. by society. And right. I really identified with that. Yeah, absolutely. So I think that to answer your question, it's sort of like defining color. And I think that, yes, I think that to a degree, I think there are some parts of it that will just always be a real tautological mystery, right? Kenny is color deficient. Mm -hmm. He sees in the fall sometimes, he cannot see the beautiful colors. He Mm -hmm. doesn't have the context for it. He says, they look look like leaves to me. I think I may have told you the story about how (laughs) I went upstairs at his house for the first time when we started dating and I was like, oh my God, your car- his carpet in his attic was this beautiful, it was like a pastel lime green, mm-hmm. beautiful color. And Kenny was like, are you fucking kidding me? He thought it was beige mm-hmm. because why would the carpet not be beige? Right. Who would put a pastel lime green carpet anywhere? Mm-hmm. And he had lived in this house for 20 years. And he stomped yeah. downstairs and said, Mom, is that carpet green? And she was like, yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. So so yes, I think that there will always be part of it that just cannot be defined except by what other people are telling you is their own experience. And so you, to play it safe, will just have to say a man is somebody who identifies as a man. Okay, so that, that answers my question. But I think that there is a definition to be had here for what is a man and what is a woman, what is any other gender, what is a non-binary person or a gender fluid person, um, in terms of the ways that they are society experiences them, they experience society, and the effects of those experiences. Yeah. So for example, Part of being a woman for me is the fact that I am probably underpaid. I have very good evidence that I'm underpaid right now. And uh, that is reflective in the experience and the statistical definition of this group of people, right? We have great facts and great uh, information available that says that women in general are underpaid compared to their male counterparts. Um and that is dealing with the way that society is experiencing these people. Society is looking at these people and saying those people are women. And for whatever reasons that are systemic and long lasting, that means they're going to be paid less. Right. So, okay. So what? I don't, I don't know if there's a point uh, to talking about this in the way that I'm going to talk about it now. And I've started, mm-hmm. but I'm going to put my Plow thoughts ahead. 
plow ahead putting my thoughts into words anyway. So there's there's a lot of ways to define uh, a word. Yeah. And you've you've done several of them. And and none of them are necessarily how a dictionary would do it. Um and and one way to define that a person off the top of their head might define a word is that you brought up color. And the only way I could think of to define a color for say a child is to point to examples. Yes, exactly. So if a if if a child asks you what is red, you look around the room and you point to the red things and say, "Well, this one's red and this one's red. Look at what they have in common." If yeah. a child asks you what is a man, uh, you might point to examples of men. I am mm-hmm. a man. Your father's a man, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. If, if look for the patterns, figure it out yourself. What they have in common. Um, obviously, a dictionary is not going to do that. Um, same for, so you brought up, um, okay, being under, you framed being underpaid as, as part of your experience as a woman. Therefore it it is a part of being a woman. Mm -hmm. This reminds me of the conversations that I would have, uh, with a poet friend of mine in grad school where I would, um, for, for, for no reason other than schadenfreude, um, irritate him, uh, prolonging conversations about what makes a poem a poem. Uh-huh. And he would point to, uh, well, uh, l- lots of poems have certain things in common, like certain meter, rhyme, you know, the, the rules in a form like a sestina, and and all of that, all of those things are 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 tropes or conventions, but they're they're non-essential. Mm-hmm. They're they're things that you can say about many poems, e- maybe even most poems. Be you know being uh, unfairly underpaid is a thing that you could say about perhaps the majority of women. And and that defines the partially your experience, but it does not. It is not an essential. You know, you can be a woman, mm-hmm. and and not be underpaid. Therefore, it must not be part of the the definition of the word. It can be part of the definition of the experience in general, or the experience for many, or the experience for most. Mm-hmm. But in the same way that you, I, I would love to hear if you have a definition of the word poem that doesn't include the word poem. Um, oh, I do. Yeah. Go for it. I think that a poem is a text that includes um, at least some um, craft elements, including but not limited to um, thoughtfulness around sound, meter, image, line, emotion, like evo- evocation of emotion, um, metaphor, simile, um, that is often um, shorter than a novel or a short story. So... The way that I define a poem is that it has to have some qualifications essentially from a list, 
but it doesn't ever have to have any specific set of those. It just has to have some of them. Right. So. Which means it can't not, it can't be anything, right? Right. Yeah. Well. But it can be many things. And I think that the same, I understand what you're saying about the experiencing thing. I think, I think the other thing too is like, I think that there's two functional ways that you want to define woman here or man, right? And I think that there's one, which is how do I look at this group of people and define them? And there's one, which is how do I look at this individual? And the individual level is, and I'm going to sort of get to this. This might be a good transition to the rest of what I want to talk to you about. Like, it's not relevant at an individual level. Yeah. Because at an individual level, it's the way that the person wants to experience the world. Mm Mm-hmm. And the way that they feel most comfortable experiencing the world. Right. And moving through the world. Mm-hmm. Where it becomes tricky, I agree with you, is when you're trying to define it as a term for for the group. And I think that the answer is that the group is going to be multifaceted and going to have a more flexible definition. Um, and yeah. I think that that's why I brought up the the underpaid thing, right? Clearly, not every single woman is underpaid. But if we're trying to define women as a group, um, that is going to be a part of that, right? Is the way that women have been treated over time and the experience of being a woman. Um, Which is part of the reason why, um, and we're not going to get into race too much here, but I mean, a lot of these, these things in terms of definitions also applied to the, of course, are intersectional. And so when you're looking at race, there's a lot of discussion within um, black communities and um, other uh, communities that aren't white about, you know, the spectrum of darker skin to lighter skin because darker skinned people have been treated differently than lighter skinned people, um, even if they're they're still black people or people of color in general. And so there's always going to be a spectrum, right? Because the spectrum is looking at the ways in which, again, they experience the world and society experiences them. Yeah. So, okay. The I want to just go back to revisit my thoughts on the poem question oh, yeah. quickly because the I think you, I, I can't talk about definitions without talking about you know exceptions to the rule and mm-hmm. whether and whether exceptions to the rule uh break a definition so that it is not satisfactory or whether the definition can still hold up as uh you know uh, usable yeah. as as useful despite exceptions to the rule so i think there are two things that make defining poem uh really challenging Mm -hmm. and and the first is that a poem does not have to have line breaks Mm -hmm. and the second is that there are other forms which are prose forms that look uh, that are so short Mm -hmm. that they look identical to any poem without a line without line breaks. Yeah. So because of those exceptions to the rule, I find 
the only practical uh, uh, quality of any mm-hmm. relevance to defining whether something is a poem or not is what somebody with authority on the subject s- says about the matter. Okay, yeah. Meaning the author identifies it as a poem mm-hmm. or the editor, the publisher, the reader. Mm-hmm. They, It is literally labeled as poem. Yeah. And if, if that's your... If that's your standard, then then the definition goes back to the tautological place that I mm-hmm. started from. Um, the my my way of of navigating this question is not with examples or with tropes or conventions or tradition or biological essentialism, but. The, the words man and woman are not cutting it anymore mm-hmm. unless they are treated as categories. Yeah, that sounds right. If I looked up the definition of the word bury in a dictionary mm-hmm. with some like biological, uh, you know, standard to it, there would be words that I don't even know. To, yeah. to define the word berry. But if a child asked me, what's a berry? Well, I would say it's a type of fruit. Yes. Including such examples as strawberry, blueberry, etc. Now I'm getting to examples, but the, the important word is category. Mm-hmm. We have person for an umbrella over man and woman. Mm-hmm. And each of those is an umbrella over cis man, trans man, and mm-hmm. cis man, trans woman, mm-hmm. cis, cis woman, trans woman, res- mm-hmm. respectively. I'm embarrassed that I couldn't get that out in one try. Um, the, the, yeah, that, that's why I say that man and woman won't cut it anymore because it's like not enough information. Would you like a berry? <laughs> if I offered you a berry, you would justifiably ask me what type. Yes. Which berry? Yeah. Likewise, I I would I I'm not I'm not going to offer you or any child a, a man or a woman <laughs> to eat or enjoy in any such respect. Yes. Um, but uh, for different reasons, for different purposes. I would have different, I would have the same standard or the same reaction for defining man and woman. Mm -hmm. I think that's a fair, a fair assessment. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I think that's sort of what I'm saying too, is that like, I want it to be everything. I want people to have the opportunity to have, and and children especially, to have gender be everything at once. Mm -hmm. Because I don't think that, it being a definition is useful to anyone. And I think that it is more so useful to have it be a category. Um, I I got into this argument at work because we had this very poorly run, God bless her, um, talk about stereotypes um, that was like a sort of community nurturing type event. And I feel very grateful that my job 
allows these conversations to happen. But sometimes they give – they and, – and they're safe spaces and everything, but sometimes they have these topics that are just like so big and it's really hard to listen to people stumble through them when they don't think about them as much as I do is, is the real takeaway. Yes. I would hate to listen, for example, to – a guy in an armchair talk about such a subject <laughs> on a podcast. But but that would be uh, cringe. As you know, ba- this this had this felt very much like a um, it felt it the way it came off felt very much like a sort of like high school theater production where it's like uh, you know like because the example she was giving I would be very clear these were the examples she was given and she was like you know what are stereotypes like for me um. A black person, it might be that I'm athletic, but if it's like an Asian person, it might be that they're smart. And it ve- felt very much like a like a teen theater production that they've like written themselves, where people are wearing like white t-shirts that have like their stereotype written on them. Mm-hmm. And I kept interjecting and saying, especially when somebody is using a stereotype to make a decision about your life, it's bad. But stereotyping as a way to categorize the people around us when we are not going to be able to have in-depth relationships with every single person around us is a skill of human survival. And so, for example, if I am at the store and I see somebody wearing a rainbow flag pin, I am going to assume that that person is part of my community and that they are probably fairly safe. That person could be a murderer, Who knows? You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Mm -hmm. But for the moment of the interaction that I might need to interact with them right then, stereotyping them as a queer person like me could be and usually is quite useful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, which is just to say like, you know, in the end, this is where it comes down to like, I think that there's a really important difference between like this categorization that you're talking about, which I think is useful, but it's useful in looking at trends and looking at information in a way so that we understand these experiences at large and so that we can help address these communities at large versus somebody's individual experience, which I think is whatever the fuck it wants to be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, do you mind if I move to my sort of last points? Yeah, please. And then if there's time, I have another question, but it's it's perhaps even less important than the previous one so related to definitions and to that i think this is actually quite good is a question that i get a lot um because my kid has not i've been using they pronouns for my kid as you've probably picked up i don't know where they're going to land with their gender um but it seems like it's not going to be what we assigned them at birth and a question that i've been asked is how do they know (laughs) Yes. And the first thing I want to point out is that most kids, they've done studies, actually do know what their gender is around the age of four. Now, whether or not they're allowed to exist within that gender or whether they feel safe expressing that gender or if they express that gender and they're immediately shut down, who can say? Because clearly it's just as valid to come out with a different gender than the one you've been living much later in life than four. That's not, I'm not saying this to invalidate any of those experiences. I'm just saying that um, kids do actually know at quite a young age, maybe before they understand how pronouns work. Um, But the second point that I want to bring up is that I don't think it fucking matters if they know or not. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think it's relevant. Well, yeah. And I think that part of the the kerfuffle here is the idea that you have to be right about your gender because otherwise you're lying. And this is the thing that it's like, this is where it becomes intertwined with these like legal problems, right? Right. Because, you know, people are saying, because, because people who have a gender have to prove essentially that they've always been this gender, they've always known this gender and that this is their gender and that's why it's legitimate that they want to exist as this gender. And I think for a lot of people that is true. But I also think that I wish we could move to a place, especially in our raising our very small children, where it doesn't really matter what they want their gender to be on any given day. Because who cares? <laughs> right. So, so, yeah, this gets to a question that I've, I've, this is not what I said I might bring up before. This mm. is something else that has kind of been on my mind. This question of, yeah, it's sort of who cares? Like, why, why is this, why is all the awfulness happening? And I, I think that there's something not particularly helpful that happens when you try well let me just speak for myself when i try to put myself in the frame of mind of someone with a position that i'm opposed to and uh i can you know intellectually in theory i can try to put on the hat of somebody who claims that living by every word of the Bible literally is really important to them. But I, I'm never going to feel, I'm never going to like put that much credit onto like that perspective because I can't access how that would actually like feel. You know. Especially in that specific example, and and I think a lot of the examples, it's like the thing that they that they are claiming is very often in contradiction to the things that they're actually doing. So the best that I can do is latch on to a perspective that I don't know whether it's relevant or not to the people who uh, would, you know. The people whose position, uh, as I understand it, the, the narrative is becoming, if it hasn't already been here for a while, that what you are doing, Liz, is child abuse. Yes. By by educating your child about gender in this way mm -hmm. and gendering them in this way and giving mm -hmm. them that that education and, the, and those options. So um, the, the best that I can do is imagine something that I could understand. And if I can understand it, it's probably not relevant to their understanding of, of the issue. Mm -hmm. But um, what it comes down to for me, which might be irrelevant, is the existential dread of never being able to know someone else's mind. Mm -hmm. and what's going on there and 
and what what we're being told and in our in your case especially in our case what we are telling other people um is uh whatever this person tells you about their gender their pronouns and their identity you have to accept that and uh integrate it into the way that you communicate with them and about them Mm -hmm. you have to accept it despite any evidence that you've been trained to think is to the contrary which is kind of like saying, hey, you you might think that you're being lied to, but you 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 have you have to um you have to act gullible. Yeah. Like you accept a lie. Mm-hmm. And and for all you know, it might be a lie because you can't know what's going on in that other person's head. You just have to take what they say to you as fact, mm-hmm. despite what you see or what you feel or what you hear. And and I, I, I can see how that would be uncomfortable. Yeah. I think it also, too... Part of and, and, and sorry, sorry, I just okay. remembered what how that's relevant to what you're talking about with kids is that different people have different understandings of how much agency people are supposed to have based on how young they are mm-hmm. and how much agency a child is and how yes. ha- has and and how that applies to a four year old, a five year old, a six year old, it's you know, and so on, et cetera, and how that's different at different years. And so it's it's like it's compounded for a child it's it's a problem regardless of of the age of the individual mm-hmm. that you don't know their mind but then add on to that you might not agree that this individual is capable of having a mind in the way that you do because you're yeah. an adult Yeah, and I think that this gets down to a few things, which is, like, why is this happening and why is it – like, my question of, like, it's not – my point of saying, like, it's not relevant if they're right or not. Um, Because it's also not – I think the pill that that we're being asked to swallow is it doesn't matter whether an adult who you're meeting for the first time is telling the truth or not or mm -hmm. whether you believe them or not. You're yeah. supposed to use the pronouns they tell you to use. Yes. Because they tell you to use them, not because you would prefer it or you believe them or they conform to your idea of what a person using those pronouns uh, should use, but just because they tell you to. Yes. And I think that what this gets down to is exactly what you're talking about, which is agency and power. And of course, that is going to then be tied directly to parents who love to control their children. And further, um, misogyny and then homophobia. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because homophobia at its root, root, as far as I'm concerned, is misogyny. Because this, the idea yeah. is that when you have um, 
two partners that are of the same gender um that there cannot be the appropriate power dynamic which is that a man is more powerful than a woman and that one of those two people has to essentially and especially when you're looking at you know gay male like couples or group groups of you know people together it's like one of them is going to have to quote unquote be the submissive one because there's no other structure available to us. The only structure available to us is one person in power and one person that's submissive. And so if you are a man who is giving up his power to be submissive and to be womanly in that mm-hmm. way, feminized, right. mm-hmm. then you're bad. That's bad. Right. And so in terms of like the agency and power with children – um, I think that a real trickle down of mothers, something something that like, I think, I, I don't know if I've talked to you about this, but like, I think that oftentimes mothers that are very controlling of their children are in controlling of their children in part as a reaction to the patriarchy, where like, basically, if the patriarchy has controlled a woman her entire life, she gets children and now she finally has some semblance of control. So she really, so in that sense, she like wants to mother this child in a very specific way. And that means that she's always going to be the one that has power over these children, even when they're adults. Um, But I also think it comes down to then, um, which again, leads back to the patriarchy, leads back to this agency and power. But then also with children themselves, the idea that children... Because, like, what are the stakes, I guess, is the question. And it, again, and, and if it's, if it's, like, we're looking at adults, the stakes of knowing somebody's gender, their true gender, I'm putting in scare quotes, is, like, well, do you want to have sex with that person or not? And with children, that's not relevant, right? So with children, it becomes a matter of, like, And that's especially why I think it's not relevant for the record. Because I think that as an adult, you should have some agency over the people you do and do not have sex with. I think that you get, you get full consent over, you should, you should be allowed full consent over who you do and do not want to have sex with. That is not relevant at all to children. Children are not, children, especially the very small children, I'm not talking about teenagers, are not having sex. (laughs) And they should not be. And so... No, that's why I'm saying that their gender just isn't relevant. It's relevant only in the sense that what they tell us they want to do and what makes them feel comfortable in the world, that's what's relevant. What is making this child feel comfortable in the world? What is making this child feel joy and feel like themselves the most? That's what their gender is. And um, the reason that parents... And, and lawmakers are losing their minds over this is because they want to have agency over these children. And you're right, they can't see into their mind. And so they are like, well, you know, they how could they possibly know any of this? And now we don't want them tricking their classmates. And then it gets – because then the stakes are like, this is why the sports thing. This is why they they focused on sports, the people that are doing this anti-trans legislation, right? Because in sports – sports. Mm-hmm. In sports, the stakes are super fucking clear mm-hmm. because there are winners and there are losers. Yeah. And so if you can blame somebody's biology for being a winner or a loser, right? 
you can say, well, there are stakes. There are reasons we should legislate around this. Yeah. So so part of what I'm saying, if it wasn't clear, is I, I don't know if anyone really thinks this way or feels this way. But mm-hmm. if I if I try to imagine why someone would resist using someone else's preferred pronouns when they're just meeting them or yeah. just talking about them. What are the stakes? Perhaps there's a version of there's somebody out there for whom the stakes are. Well, I I won't be made a fool of. Yes. Uh, Because as as I'm saying, you can't know somebody else's mind and you're suspicious. What they're saying sounds contrary to the evidence of your senses. Mm -hmm. Um. You don't want to be, uh, you don't want to fall for a lie and you don't want to be gullible or a fool. Now, the, now th- this, this point that you can't know somebody else's mind and so you can't know if they're lying or not is the same reason why I get very frustrated by something that I see on Twitter a mm-hmm. lot and I probably shouldn't be talking about this in this forum because (laughs) i think that this pet peeve of mine is not a particularly uh uh, leftist uh position Mm -hmm. um but i'm i'm sure you've seen it too The, the 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 trope is there's a headline from like a the associated press or the new york Mm -hmm. times or someplace and somebody probably a leftist you know tweets a screenshot of it or or quote tweets it and rewrites it and they and they can't believe they they they're they're so they're they're very upset that the writer of this headline would not just call out that that cop that chief of police mm-hmm. is lying when oh, the headline yes. says that they in, made an inaccurate statement Yes. Or, you know, or in, in more extreme examples, you know, that we are all familiar by now with the with the journalists uh, beloved phrase officer involved shooting like that. Yes. That sort of a thing. And and people on my Twitter timeline are like, oh, I can't believe uh, uh, the the media, you know, they're 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 bought and sold by 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 the cops and. And and what I don't see people saying, I'm sure they're out there, they're in the replies that I'm not looking at, presumably. But what they're not saying is like, if I were a reporter for the Associated Press, mm-hmm. I think you, there would be grounds to fire me if I reported journalistically what is supposed to be with objectivity Oh, yes. This also drives me nuts, by the way. That someone was lying. Because <laughs> you can't know. You can't. You can't know. And the the the, the press, they're supposed to report like facts that you The only you way you can know. know is if you have a, like recordings of right. somebody saying, I know that this is true. And, and then and saying when I something said this else. other thing, I lied. And I and yeah, and specifically <laughs> saying like, I lied. Or I'm, like, I'm you know, saying like. You know, at Monday at 8 a.m., like, I know that this is true. And then at 10 a.m. saying in a press conference, I don't think that's true at all. You know what I mean? Then you can be like, 
Well, but yes, but, you're yeah, right. But also there is such a thing as learning something that contradicts what you once thought or said. Yes. And and this also drives me nuts actually with um, rape. Mm. Because you will see a lot of people be furious. And I think that there is actually a time to be furious about this. But sure. they'll be furious that like a – it'll say something like a – you know, a teacher had sex with a minor – and I asked my friend Becky about this, who was a journalism major, and she was like, yeah, there's actually a very specific reason for that, which is that rape is a criminal charge. Mm-hmm. And so even though you cannot consensually have sex with a minor when you're 30 and somebody is 12, uh, they cannot use the term rape because that person has not – if that person has not been charged. They're still innocent until – And found guilty, guilty of. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so it, it sucks and it's frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, it's the same thing where it's like that. Yeah, there, you know, there's going to be biases. And, and so the time that this that I think it is worthwhile to get mad about this is but, I have occasionally seen people who were charged with rape not be called rapists uh-huh, in headlines. Right. right. And I, that is the same. But the I, same I, language. I don't think that the solution is changing our standards for what counts as a journalist's acceptable level of objectivity i think the solution is let them do their job of of attempting objectivity when reporting facts Mm -hmm. and you do your job of reading it and interpreting it yes it's not their job to write a headline that says someone is lying it's your job to say oh Seems like that person was lying yes. when you read about the quote-unquote objective version of events. So quote tweet it and say, I guess this person was lying instead of making a target of the writer of the headline and <laughs> yeah. saying, why didn't you say X was lying? Yes. No, I agree with you completely. And I, and I mean, I think even like... That that also drives me nuts. And it also drives me nuts because it's like, do, do you understand that there are style guides? <laughs> Probably not. Um, but but, uh, I've, but uh, who, who, uh, who are the people who are putting that into my timeline? Primarily writers. Primarily probably the yes. people that you follow and that Dana yes. follows and that I tend not to follow. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a very good point. Can I... Can I circle back really quick? Please. It's your show. So yes, as I was saying, it's not relevant if they're right or not now, as far as I'm concerned, because I want my child and the children, I want all children to experience gender as if they're learning language. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think it's important to note, you know, what is the goal of this, right? So there's two different goals. And the first goal is that if they are not explicitly on the binary that they don't have to wait through many confusing years to figure that out um and everybody has their own journey with this i don't mean to invalidate any of that but what if our children could have no hang-ups around this shit what if they could just live their lives and figure things out and maybe even maybe even land on something that feels comfortable until they hit puberty. And then when they get those new rushes of hormones, suddenly something else feels comfortable. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, 
And then the second reason is let's say your kid does end up just being a little cis kid, a little kid that is the same gender that they were assigned as birth. They're let's even say they're he- they're heterosexual. They just fall into what God society <laughs> really supports. What? Uh-huh. I said God forbid. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> we're all a little bit queer as far oh as Oh my god, he admitted that's the conservative person listening to this podcast. <laughs> when um Whenever I I do sometimes think to myself, I mean, everybody I'm friends with is like a little bit queer. And then I go to work and I'm like, oh, right, (laughs) you people. (laughs) Um, But is that I those people will not think that the people around them are weird or exceptions or othered or something to be handled with kids gloves. Right. They will know exactly how to interact with those people. And they will know that, you know, people that aren't their gender identity are just people without their gender identity. And it won't be a whole fucking thing, right? Mm-hmm. I Again, I think we talked about this with, with the sex education thing. Whereas, like, if we can just bring all of this down to being neutral, then the expression itself can flourish, right? Mm-hmm. And you're training them to be good allies when they grow up, like you exactly. and me. Exactly. Yes, like you and me. Like, like I love to pat myself on the back for, for being. <laughs> um, I hope people the- know what a joke. I think that that <laughs> is when I talk about myself as an ally. My and- coworkers in the one um, employee resource group I'm a part of, my one coworker was like, "Liz, we should have like an ally of the year award and give it to you." And I was like, "Please do not do that." <laughs> I am honored that you said those words out loud, and I accept the compliment. Mm-hmm. Um, but please do not do that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it was truly one of the biggest, greatest compliments I've gotten in my life. Um, because I- in this particular, this particular employee resource group, there's one other person like me. Let's mm-hmm. say, yeah. Uh, slightly different than me, but like me, and I am very often talking this person down. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, and I guess the final thing I want to say is, um, and I probably should have brought this up earlier, but like in general, this also means that you have to be willing to answer questions, mm-hmm. even if that means saying, "I don't really know the way to answer that right now, but let me get back to you." Right. My child has, for example, been very upset that they will not be able to grow a baby in their body mm-hmm. because they do not have a uterus. Right. They're very upset about this. Or were one day, let's mm-hmm. say. Yeah. Who knows how they'll feel in the future. And I had to come up with a way to explain to this child why they don't have a uterus that didn't use the words because you're not a girl. Mm-hmm. And the what I said was, your body did not grow a uterus. And when they said why, I said, your body did not create the chemicals and did not have the information to create a uterus, right? And I think that that's using that sort of language has worked out really well. Like, why do you, why does Papa have a beard and why don't you have a beard? My body doesn't grow a beard because it's not producing the chemicals to grow a beard. Um, I've also been able to say, if you want to not grow a beard, we can give you medicine for that. Mm-hmm. If you want to grow breasts someday, we can give you medicine for that. Hopefully that will still be the case legally. Right. But um, framing it that way and framing those sort of questions about biology that way 
um, and not shying away from them or giving short answers um, has been essential to me making sure that my child knows how to move through the world. Even just the fact that, did you hear all the kerfuffle about seeing red? Turning red. Turning red. Do I call it seeing red every time and do you, does it make you mad? No, nothing makes me mad. <laughs> <laughs> every fucking time that there was the whole kerfuffle because they talk about getting your period in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it was a problem because a bunch of parents were upset that they had done a j- bad job of parenting. Right. Because their their children didn't know what periods were yet and they were not ready to have that conversation. Right. And I think the problem is that my child and, and Elliot will never have that problem. Mm-hmm. Because Elliot, it just, I didn't go out of my way to hide this information. I didn't have a big, this is the other thing. I don't feel like in these situations you need to have big sit down meetings. Much like I want to avoid my kid ever having to come out. I also want to avoid having to have a big sit-down meeting about their body. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't want to have a meeting. Like, if I had a daughter, a daughter, a child that would menstruate, if I had a daughter or a child that would menstruate, I would not want to have to sit down and say, I have something to tell you about your body. That sucks. Instead, when Elliot... Elliot you're, you're a wizard, Harry. When Elliot, <laughs> <laughs> I have had a secret about you this whole time. Yeah, here's the secret. Yeah, you know when Elliot was a kid, they would say to me, "Well, what genitals do you have?" And I, then when they were two, mm-hmm. I mean, I, they probably used less words than that at the time because they didn't, weren't good at sentences. But I said, "I have a vulva and a vagina." And so when Elliot saw me with tampons the other day, and so and when Elliot said, "How did I grow in your body?" and I said, "Well, you grew in my uterus." And when Elliot saw me with tampons the other day, they said, what are those? I said, those are tampons. I use them for my period or my menstrual cycle. And they said, what's that? And I said, you know how I grew you in my uterus? And they said, yes, because they already had this information. Mm -hmm. And then I said, once a month, my body gets ready to maybe grow a baby. And if there's no baby to grow, I release the blood and the sort of fleshy material that I've been building up. Out of my vagina, which they already knew what a vagina was. And I said, and so it, it doesn't get everywhere. I wear a tampon inside of my vagina to soak up all of that stuff. And they said, oh, and now they fucking know how periods work. And it was not traumatic. It was not above and beyond their comprehension. I find this to be so important, which is that, like, you cannot avoid topics because they make you uncomfortable. And if you truly want your child to be able to explore these things, you need to be able, ready to answer questions, actively provide um, modeling and resources for your child, and also not avoid things just because you don't like them. Mm -hmm. And just because you think something's inappropriate because it makes you uncomfortable to think about. Yeah. If your child is asking about it, it's not inappropriate for them to know about it. Right. All right. Well, we'll uh, we'll wait several years and and we'll 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 see how Elliot turns out before you know. Listeners, check back <laughs> in <laughs> ten, fifteen, and twenty years. To, yeah. And, and and then when you see how Elliot turns out, you'll de- you'll be able to decide what uh, Liz's advice is worth. Um, you know, I turned. If you like me, if <laughs> if I turned out okay. Um, I, you know, I'm making, I'm trying to make fun of people 
who would say like, well, I, you know, I didn't have all this growing up. And yeah. Look at me. I turned out okay. I and love those the people too part, when they're like, yeah. you know, I slept on my tummy as a baby and I turned out okay. Yeah. The people that died of SIDS aren't really here to speak for themselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and also, you know, maybe you yourself are not the best judge of how you turned out, you know. Yeah. So sometimes I it's think, up to other people to decide how you turned out and how I think how it is to be around well. you. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. I do. You, we're going to fast forward to 20 years and it's like Elliot's a furry. And we're like, no, <laughs> this is not what we meant. Oh, well, next episode is about kink shaming and <laughs> when it's okay to do. Um, so uh, we're we're over t- two hours and yes, ten, let's ten minutes. So, so uh, uh, we're, here's a couple of things. We, we're not going to talk about any anything uh, more. I just want to say that uh, there are two cans of worms uh, mm-hmm. sitting unopened on my shelf right now. And okay. one of them I'm not even going to touch on the record. I can take my answer off the air. Okay. And the other one we're not going to talk about because there's no time. But I'm just going to read the label on the can of worms just to acknowledge the other question that I haven't uh, brought up. And the label on that can of worms is Louisa May Alcott and a thread that I saw on Twitter Mm -hmm. about someone claiming that Louisa May Alcott was, was transgender. Yeah. And, and, and we're not going to talk about that because there's no time left. There's a can of worms right next to that one. That says uh, Kurt Cobain would be a woman if she were still alive. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah, um, that makes sense. Why those were shelved together? <laughs> um, so uh, the conversation continues, but not on the podcast. Yes, it's up to you if if that's the ending. It's your episode. I think that's the ending. I love you, Will. Thank you for listening to me talk about parenting for a long time again. Well, uh, thank you for uh, doing it and and, uh, initiating the conversation. I I, uh, I love it. I love you, too. And see you next time. Bye-bye. See you next time. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram at exclamate underscore on Twitter or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.